This is a great passage because it pushes us to the heart of what Paul has been trying to say through this whole book. You remember how we began uh, five or six weeks ago now at least uh, about Paul working uh, with a group of people in Ephesus, uh, pouring his life into them that they might then go out. Uh, and soon his mission was more effective than it had ever been by going from place to place. Instead of doing that, he stayed in one place uh, and he built the life of Jesus into people and sent them out to do the same. Uh, and, uh, and so the gospel would spread all over the province of Asia Minor. And Paul's writing now years later to the churches, the house churches that have spread out right across uh, that whole region. And he's urging them, as he was in the very first verse, he's urging them to think about what really matters. And for Paul, what really matters was that they were to live the life that God had given them to live 24-7. For Paul, their, 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 their success as a, as a body of believers was not in how many times they gathered or, or in what they did when they gathered or how wonderful those gatherings were. However important that might be as part of the picture, What Paul was saying again and again, it's about how you live. And the reason Paul was saying that was because the success of the mission of the church is not based on how wonderful our gatherings are, but by how well we go and live it. And what Paul had set in motion in Ephesus was an organic uh, 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 multiplication of, of the Jesus life because people were going out and living it and imparting it to others who would live it where they were and so the gospel would continue to grow. For Paul, what he believes about God is absolutely connected with what he believes about how we should behave. Orthodoxy, true belief, and orthopraxy, true behaviour, were always wedded together in the letters that Paul wrote. And you can see it also in this uh, letter. He starts in highfalutin theological terms, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And he ends up in the nitty-gritty of where we are today about the way that we live. Colossians, first chapter, second chapter, all about what God has done for us. Chapter 3 and 4, all about the life that we're now therefore called to live. So we're at that tipping point. We're at that moment when we have to drill it down and say, what difference does this make? to the way that I live on a Monday, this time tomorrow, half past 11 on a Monday, what difference does this make? What difference will it make Tuesday evening or Wednesday afternoon or wherever it might be? And I tell you this, he says, verse 17 of chapter 4, which gets us right into it. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He couldn't use any stronger language that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Whatever else, this life in Christ must change the way that you live. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. For Gentiles, read everybody else, because that's essentially what he was saying. Paul says, I'm insisting that you live it, that you live out what has already happened in you. So he's writing to these missional churches and their success, of course, was totally dependent on whether they would live it out. And so he goes on uh, talking about the Gentiles in verse 18. They are darkened, uh, 
in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They are separated from the life of God. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? To live separated from the life of God. But that's what he's saying to these people that are outside of Christ. They're, well, whatever they're espousing, whether it be the, the pagan idols of Ephesus, uh, great deities uh, high above the city of Ephesus, or, or whether they were bowing to little gods in their, in their homes or given out on or all of that, Paul puts them and says they're living separated from the life of of God. And so he's building this huge contrast between those who are living in Christ and those who are living separated outside of the life of Christ. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message puts it uh, quite succinctly. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. We might say that's an appropriate commentary on the world in which we live. So you have on the one hand, people living separated from the life of God and those Christians to whom he's writing that are to live the life in Christ. And what Paul is saying is that given how totally different your experience now is, there's the group that's living in Christ that have received forgiveness, cleansing, renewal. They know the living God. They know the Holy Spirit, deposit, guaranteeing all that is to come. These people over here. And then these people over here that are separated from the life of Christ. Paul says it would be an utter tragedy for these people and these people to live in such a way that you cannot tell the difference. Paul is saying the change that's happened in our lives is so utterly fundamental that if it has not worked itself out to living a different life, you have to wonder what God's been doing in you or not. And that's the challenge that he's bringing here. Verse 20 is really strong in the Greek. You, however, it's not to be this way with you. You were not taught like this, drawing a a comparison with the Gentiles. Paul insists we must live We must be different because we're in Christ. And he goes on, verse uh, 22 of Ephesians chapter 4. Be good to be reading it in front of you. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. To do what? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Verse 22. Three and verse 24, and to put on the new self, to put created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To put off the old self and put on the new self, which is to be like God. Not in his omnipotence or omniscience, but like God in his character. And so Paul is saying, what's happened to you in Christ is so fundamental that you once were living this life separated from God, but now you've been united with him. Such is the change that's happened within you. It has to find its way worked out in a different kind of living. For we are to be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the goal for you and me, to become like God in terms of his character and his attitude. 
Again, Eugene Peterson, I haven't got it on the screen, but he, he talks about God working in us so uh, that our conduct would as, uh, uh, sorry, uh, and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. And we know from other parts of Paul's writings how central this is to his understanding of what it means to live missionally, to live out the life of Christ, to live in a way that people go, I want that. To live in a way that people go, that's different. To live in a way that either for good or for bad, it creates a reaction. Remember Paul talked about to some, you'll be the aroma of Christ. They'll love you and welcome you because you're like Jesus. But for others, because you're like Jesus, they will keep you away. They will reject you. That's exactly what happened to Jesus himself. And he expected no less for his disciples. Because whatever we would be, we would be different. Predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. To be like Jesus. That's challenging. Isn't it? Do I love the things that Jesus loves? Do I love the people that Jesus loves? Do I go to the places where Jesus goes? Do I share the priorities that Jesus exhibited? Huge challenges. So what we mustn't miss, because the challenge is enormous, to be different, what we mustn't miss is what's key to creating that difference in our lives. Because to be blunt, one of the things that we struggle with as a, as a Western church is statistically we're not really any different. All the statistics say that Christians are not particularly more generous than anybody else. That Christian marriages are not particularly more stable than anybody else. And so we could go on. And it's sobering to think about this challenge of living it out so that we're different. Now don't miss verse 23 that we glossed over. Bible's open in front of you. Just have a look at this here. Really important, I think, in our understanding of what what, what God wants to do with us uh, this morning. Verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new. This difference that we are called to live, we cannot create ourselves. Hugely important. God works in you. You can't work it in yourself. Verse 23, we need to be made new in the attitude of your mind. I cannot make myself new. And it's very significant, I think, in terms of our understanding of what we're longing for God to do in our lives. Remember back in Romans, a famous verse about being transformed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this will, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. By your mind being renewed. You could say heart, mind and heart could be used interchangeably in this context. And this brings us back to that word that we learnt in Sunday school about repentance. And the emphasis of repenting was I'm walking in this direction and I have to repent so I have to turn around and walk in a different direction. 
And we've emphasized repentance as being a turnaround. The Greek word of repentance, metanoia, literally means a change of heart, change of mind. It's about something internally that needs to change in order to find expression in my behavior. Otherwise, I get caught in a terrible cycle of trying harder. And for a while, I know that as a Christian, I should be different in a particular area, so I put a lot of effort into trying harder. I must try harder. I will do better. And for a short period of time, with a lot of effort, I might succeed in that, but then one weak moment, and it all falls like a very fragile pack of cards. Anyone relate to that? I've done really well at whatever it is, at, 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 not, at being content and not wanting what someone else has. And then someone I know really well has something I really want. And it falls like a pack of cards. And my life is flooded with discontent. An example could be anything. Pornography. Talking inappropriately. Being unfaithful with my words. We can try hard. And for a while, we'll probably make a dent in it. But very quickly, it'll fall like a pack of cards. And Paul says the very same thing, doesn't he? He says that, he talks about the internal struggle, about the things that I want to do, I, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And it almost doesn't matter how hard I try. And we get exhausted from trying, and we feel guilty because we failed, And so rather than try again and fail again, it's easier not to try at all. And so we pull into a spiritual lay-by in that part of our walk with the Lord. What's truly liberating about what Paul is bringing to us here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that the change is something God wants to do in us. It's his work in us. It's grace again. It's his gift to us. He says, not only am I going to forgive you for what you've done wrong, but I'll actually create in you a newness of life so you can live the way that you're supposed to live and not be in this perpetual cycle. And so he talks about uh, us being renewed in the attitude of our minds as we seek to become more like who he is. And isn't that the deal? Isn't that what salvation is? Isn't that what God's rescued me for, to be like him? To be conformed into his image? So we read all kinds of really encouraging verses about how one day when he appears, uh, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the twinkling of an eye, it says, we should all be changed. We don't have to wait until that final moment when in an instant God mops everything up that still needs changing in our lives. We are called to be on a journey of that kind of change. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, i.e. it's something that happens to us, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Where does this transformation come from? It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Interesting. Because if you know Ephesians 5, you'll know that this whole section about living differently has two bookends. It has this bookend that we've just mentioned about a new attitude, and it has another bookend at the end about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 18. It's like at the beginning Paul's going to remind us, and at the end Paul's going to remind us, that this different way of life that he's going to describe, and we'll look at in a moment, is not achieved by our effort, but it is achieved by God's work in us. Thankfully. Ephesians 5.18, 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are three really interesting things about Ephesians 5, verse 15. After I've said what those interesting things are, you might conclude that none of them were interesting. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll have a go all the same. The first is it's in the imperative mood. What does that mean? That means it's a command and not an option. Be filled. Don't think about it. Don't wonder about it. Don't choose to be filled or not filled. Just get on with it. Be filled. It's a command. Because how can you possibly live the life of Christ without the Spirit bringing the reality of Jesus into our lives? It's impossible. Secondly, it's plural. It's addressed to the church. In other words, church, be filled. Church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not an option, not something special for wacky churches, normal churches, normal people in Christ seeking to live the missional life need to be full of his Holy Spirit. Now, we can only be filled if each one of us takes responsibility to do that for ourselves. And then the third thing, which is most significant in this context this morning, it's in the passive voice, which means that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not something we do, but something that we can only allow to be done to us. It's a passive imperative. And there are not many of those, because in other words, it's a command not to do something, but a command to allow something to be done to you. Be filled with the Spirit. Because it is in the Spirit filling and touching our lives that we are changed. Not in a technique. Not in trying harder, not in putting more effort in, but in allowing his spirit to change me. As I'm changed, I I will bear different fruit. And so will you. And I guess another clue is what Paul goes on to describe in verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians 5 about what he's anticipating. He says, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. It's fruit. Now you don't walk past a plant and hear it stressing about the fruit. Mm, trying to get it out. The fruit is a natural production of a healthy plant. Uh, and what Paul is saying, that as the Spirit works in our lives, these fruits of character just become part of who we are because our lives are being changed. And so it strikes me this morning that we have a choice as we come to this middle section that talks about various different kinds of fruit. We can either think to ourselves, well, I'm going to try harder this week to produce that fruit in me. Now you can have a good go at that if you like, and I'd commend you for doing that. But most of us, all of us here know that the trying harder thing is, is not that successful in the long run, unless it's just me. My observation about all our lives is the trying harder thing is not delivering the greatest results for us. And Paul's asking for a different way. What if you just cried out to the Holy Spirit to renew your heart and mind with regards a particular area or character of our lives. It's what God does in us. That's what we were saved for. Rescued to be like him. And I can't be like him by myself. 
And neither can you. Neither can you. It's all grace. So that one day, when you look back and you see what God's worked in you, you can never say, do you know, look how good I am. I worked really hard at that. Because it's not about that. It's about the grace of Jesus at work in our lives. So Paul places these two bookends as a reminder of how this whole thing works. And so we're going to reflect on some of the things that Paul places in this chapter as fruit. And rather than talk a lot about them, rather than encourage you to go into the week with some tool to try harder at achieving success in one or other of these areas, I think we'll just pause and pray as we go and invite the Holy Spirit to renew us in our lives and in our hearts. And then we'll come to the Lord's table where his broken body deals with every brokenness in all of us, where his poured out life deals with all the rubbish that sometimes pours out of our lives because we're not the people yet that he's called us to be. Ephesians 4 verse 25. He begins talking about these various uh, fruits, if you like, things that would mark you as different as a Christian. Uh, Verse 25, uh, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Now this might refer to the great lie of idolatry uh, that was known in those days, the, the, the worship of the pagan gods at Ephesus. Whether it does or not, it's about the truth of Jesus being in our inner parts. And, and, and sometimes we don't live out of that truth. Sometimes we're less than honest by the things that we think, by the words that we say, by the actions that we undertake. So is there an area today where God's Holy Spirit would put his hand on you and me and say, you're not being truthful or honest in that part of your life, either about God, not being truthful or honest about yourself, not being truthful or honest towards somebody else. And so, Lord, we just turn this into a prayer this morning as we read your word. And we realize that as we try harder, that's futile. Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you speak to us? The Bible says that we're to pray that you would search us and know us. And so we're asking that as we confess to you, you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And you renew that part of us to live in newness of life. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you stir truth in our inner parts? Create the life of Jesus in us, Lord. Verse 26 of Ephesians 4, In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. There's righteous anger, of course. We should be angry that our nation is in the grip of the evil one, that he's rocking people to sleep. We should be angry that children die of starvation when there's enough food and medical provision. There are plenty of things to be angry about. But Paul says, be careful about your anger 
Because it's easy in your anger to slip into sin. Do not sin. Holy Spirit, would you meet us in those places where we're angry today? Holy Spirit, would you help us? And if I'm angry about a person, then I ask the question, do I really want that person's blessing? And if I'm not sure, then my anger is tipped into something less than righteous. If I'm clinging on to my anger after the sun has gone down, then my anger is tipped into something less than righteous. Holy Spirit, would you work in me? And renew me. Would you work in us? Renew us. We agree not to give the devil a foothold in our lives with ungodly anger. Thank you that you create the life of Jesus in us. Generosity. Verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Stealing's pretty shellfish, isn't it? Stealing comes from, I've got to grab hold of this. It's my right to have it. Whether it's mine or not, I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing. And Jesus came and he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. How generous are we today? Holy Spirit, Renew us to be more generous. How freely do I give what I have? How freely do I give away expecting nothing in return? I can try to be more generous, but unless you change us, Lord, we default to being getters rather than givers. Holy Spirit, come. Building talk. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Speech is something that marks us in your image, Lord. The animals don't speak, they just grunt, but we speak. Holy Spirit, help me to see today. Do I build people up or do I bring them down? Are my words kind or are my words harsh? Do I gossip or slander when really I should not speak at all? Do I criticize rather than encourage? Are the words that I speak always committed to being for the benefit of others? Or do I speak often for my own benefit? Holy Spirit, search us and know us. Holy Spirit, produce the Jesus life in us, we pray.
And then those sobering words in verse 30 about not grieving the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Lord, do we grieve you? The things in us that make you sad today. Jesus. So verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Kindness. Holy Spirit, work kindness in me today. Jesus. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Lord, stir in us where we're holding bitterness or resentment. Stir in us where we need to forgive, Lord. Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. We need your strength to forgive again and again, as your word tells us. We need your strength to let people off the hook that have hurt us and wounded us. We need your strength to let people go that our anger inside would hold on to. We need a new heart, a new attitude. We need to be changed by that transformation that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they they do. Holy Spirit, come. And be imitators of God, verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. Holy Spirit, create in me a sacrificial heart. Help me to give up things today for others. To lay things down for others. Jesus. But among you there must not be, verse 3, even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Statistically, the sexual purity of the church is no different from the world. We're asking, Lord, for your church And in doing that, we can only ask for ourselves. Lord, do works in each of us that keep us pure in thought and deed.
So Lord, as we have opened up in our hearts these things that come to us from your word, as we receive for ourselves the truth that we can't change ourselves, but you can change us as we let you, we choose to open up our lives to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We choose to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We choose to allow you to change us from ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, Spirit of God, come and work in us now, in these moments, where you've been speaking to us, We recognise that you don't put your finger on things to condemn us. You put your finger on things to convict us, that it might lead to uh, repentance, a change of heart that you bring, and then a walking out of a newness of life. We choose these things for ourselves. Because in our homes, and in our workplaces, and in our communities, And in our various organisations to which you've placed us, we long to be different. That your light may so shine before men that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. That our lives might point people to Jesus. So in these moments of togetherness now, would you work in us and through us as we draw near to the cross, as we see in Jesus his welcome of outstretched arms, as we see in Jesus his love, as we understand in Jesus when he cried out as the weight of the world was placed on him, my shame, my guilt, as he cried out, that we might be forgiven, that we might be renewed, that the life we now live might be Christ in us.